Here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Good morning. My name is Angelina Carlton. I'm the founder of Legacy Planning, a boutique advisory and coaching firm based in Beverly Hills. Have you ever been told something, but wondered if there was more to the story? What if there's additional knowledge to help you evolve as you unravel a mystery? There's always more to a story, to any story. The facts are that we need to explore and almost dissect the story to find the truth contained within. Like the adventures of Professor Langdon in the movie, The Da Vinci Code, we too can find ourselves on a journey of exploration. Here to provide his perspective and to overcome any myths and perceptions is my cousin and author, Carl Neville, who will dive deeper into these subjects. Welcome back, Carl. Can you tell us a little bit about your last three books? Oh yeah, of course, Andrew. It's great to be back. Actually, it's been a bit of a while, a bit too long, I'm afraid. <laughs> but it's uh, no, it's great. Um, so we've got three main books um, that I've that I've written. I say we as like a royal we uh, for the purpose of the purpose of sort of sense, really. Um, we've got the Genesis Code, Finding Camelot, and the most recent one, Under the Dome. Now, one of my dearest um, friends acquaintances, um, students, how we want to label her. Um, Janice um, made some very interesting comments about the books and she's been um, been under my guise, as it were, under my wing, for one of a better term, for the best part of 35 years. So um, Janice has gone through every single pathway possible, hands-on, really. And so are other people as well, don't get me wrong, there's other people in the groups and things over the years. But Janice has been right the way through that. But I suppose if we look at the Genesis Code, the first thing is everyone knows that terminology, the Genesis Code. What does it mean? It's controversial, that's for sure. It's about the um, the true royal bloodline. Now, I don't mean as in like kings and queens and, and that of England or Wales or Scotland back in the day when they were all separated islands. I don't mean, and let's think outside the box, let's go a little bit further than the United Kingdom as we know it. It's not about any country at all and about their who they profess to be kings. This is about the dysphosony that we'll talk about much more, I guess, as we carry on and how the, the lines as we get from from Cain, the lines as we get through Davidic lines and things, and how they follow through this migrational pattern. So the Genesis Code explores all the, some of those avenues. It'd be wrong of me to say all those avenues because the book would be like five stories high, I guess. But there's an exploration of what we consider to be God and about the existence of God. Now, it's always a very 
touchy subject, I guess. <laughs> when we come to God, the God thing, what is it? Who is this God person anyway? Oh, well, he's, he's God, isn't he? Well, who is he? You know, um, there's a wonderful artist, actually. I can't think of her name right now, but she, ran, she, she um, wrote a song and the lyrics are amazing. And it's about um, if God was one of us. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, he, and, and the lyrics sort of transpose. or something. That's it. I think so. Yeah, you might, you yes. might be right there. And a beautiful voice. But what, what, she, um, what she says in the lyrics and what, she, what she's written about in the lyrics, rather, is about how she portrays God as being that man on the bus trying to find his way home. Yeah, she she betrays about um, nobody's calling him on the on the phone. She says not telephone. She says phone. Nobody's calling him on the phone except the Pope, maybe in Rome. Mm-hmm. So you know, interesting. I mean, so who has this caveat on God? Please, someone tell me. You know, but this is what the book explores. It says, who is this God person anyway, and what is he or she really doing? What they're not doing, as it were. So it explores those aspects. There's aspects of the book that also um, look at the archangels. Now, most people know the archangels, whatever religion, whatever guise, whatever denomination you're from in your existence, albeit a short one. We've all got a very short one. And yet we all we all profess to be the high knowledge of the entire universe. But let's be fair, I mean, the majority average lifespan of the planet is 80 years. That's hardly a stepping stone, is it, in the universe of space and time? But what we try and do in those 80 years, we try and understand ourselves, and we also try and understand the environment around us. And this is what Genesis Code is right is talking about. It's talking about it, 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 it makes people make that's the wrong word because that sounds dictative. Um, it, it empowers invites people. the reader. Yeah, empowers them, invite. Yeah, I like that. Invite. It invites people to explore their own within so to be without because that's the two aspects that the genesis code is looking at the within the internal soul the 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 inner mechanisms of our psyche our body how it works how we know pain how we know love how we know happiness how we know friendship and then it looks at the without the within and the without and the without is that that aspect around us now to coin a phrase, a medium would say that's your aura, that's your energy that surrounds you. Yeah, um, what it is, but it's also about the environment that interacts with your aura, your energy as well. So there's two aspects there that Genesis Code looks at. It looks at the within and the without. Now, interesting, uh, offline, we were talking very briefly about some kind of druidic aspect. Um, so dare I use, I, I, I don't know if I use the word pagan because pagan is quite a neo concept. It's a new concept, paganism. When we look at Gardnerian, um, he's got a lot to answer for, um, but yeah, he's passed over now. But we, we look, the, the modern, Druidry is not a modern concept. That's a very ancient concept. But the more modern aspects of these particular types of belief systems are so within so without as above so below that's part of some of the druidic scriptures that they talk about in the sky and the sea and the land and and it and what these are all talking about in genesis code as well is about interaction with our environment but what is this environment is it real are we really here? So that's all the aspects that it covers. So the whole idea of the Genesis Code, it's about to think outside the box. 
you've got to think outside the box because we're all taught a series of things in our life and you'll have to keep get me quietened in a minute i'll be on here for the next five hours but you've got uh, you, you know we've all we've all been programmed about all these different aspects in life and and suddenly the reader takes a step back and says hang on a minute time out yeah let's just take a deep breath look and see what can i see what can i touch what can i feel what can i sense what do i know yes so knowledge knowledge is everything so that's the genesis code as it were um going on to finding camelot well, interesting. It's it's uh, most people think of damsels in distress and knights and things. Well, yes, there is a knight aspect there in King Arthur, and Finding Camelot explores the possibility that perhaps King Arthur wasn't British at all. In fact, he was German, and that's an interesting concept in itself because if we look through a certain line of descent through Germanic and Frankish we can see that the migrational pattern is actually certainly following through um, from a Germanic aspect. So, but then you think, well, hang on a minute, what does it really matter? You know, who said that Germany was going to be Germany and who, who decided that England was going to be England and who decided that Ireland was going to be Ireland and America was going to be America? People decided that, didn't they? God didn't decide that. He didn't say, well, I'm going to create this land. What, what God said was, he turned around and said to the Israelites that I will guide you towards a land that you can call home. He didn't make the land for them. It was all one landmass. So therefore, we're all of one people, one person. We're all of the same hat, as it were. The same, we're all the same egg in that basket, whether we like it or not, you know. There's no straying away from that. This particular version of the human species is all from that same one egg. And, it, it, and this is what finally Camelot explores that. So it's certainly not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. Um, it covers aspects of true metaphysical links as well. So it explores a possibility that perhaps whatever we do in this physical environment, does it really have an impact on the metaphysical on the supernatural aspect on the off-world aspect and there has to be some kind of interaction there has to be an answer of yes there because a bit like the yin and the yang you have to have that balance you have to have that so you can't it's the butterfly effect all over again isn't it the butterfly waves his little wings in the back of thailand and causes a hurricane in america you know why because that cause and effect, it has to happen. So this is what Finding Camelot explores in a, in a fairly good, interesting point. Now, sadly, there's obviously a mention in Finding Camelot with regards to the uh, the Grail, which we'll go on to in much detail. What an obsessional point of mine is the Grail, obviously, always has been, always will be, up until my last breath, I began the Grail, but it's always been an aspect. So fate, the fate and murder of Jesus, is mentioned in Finding Camelot. And I think that's quite a strong point to make that why, why on, on God's green earth, to coin a phrase, um, are we still accepting the fact that Jesus died for our sins? Where does that come from? Why are we even believing that? You know, when I woke up this morning, I, did, I, I didn't say, oh, you know, I had sin and I had 
So what finally Camelot does, it also talks about the most serious point of um, the fate and murder of Jesus and mankind. And what we've got to think about is, well, Jesus died for our sins. Well, who, who determined that? Who decided that? Did anyone say, oh, hey, Jesus, you know, we want you to die for our sins, mate. Is that OK? You know, no one gives up their life for no other person unless it's for true love. And how can Jesus love a species that is full of greed and hate and wants to murder him in their most profound way? And um, envy and gluttony. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So it wasn't that he died for us. We, inverted commas, murdered him. It was cold-blooded murder. There's no ifs and buts there, you know. So let's that, that, not dress it up on a pedestal. Let's not dress it up and make it all fanciful. Let's not put him on a pretty little cross and say that he's so happy to be up there bleeding to death. Come on, let's, let's get a grip of reality there. He, we murdered him, and it was wrong. That's, that's the fact of it. Now, we did not cause a sin there. So this is what Finding Carnot talks about, about sins. No one is full of sin. Whatever any religious leader tries to tell somebody, if someone says you are full of sin, they're trying to control you through fear. That's all they're trying to do. No one is full of sin. Everyone is their own being. Everyone is their own person. God is there in whatever context you believe God to be, and God will always be there. And he or she may be there after you pass over. Um, this is what finally come on covers. There's some aspects of that that crosses over to um, the aspects of earth magnetics and how ley lines certainly connect in, in, into that as well. And ley lines are a very interesting point. Now, they're, they're really geomagnetics of the Earth. They're, 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 they work on two levels, two avenues, a bit like how AC works and DC works in current. So we have a, a physical ley lines of magnetics, geomagnetics. And then we have the metaphysical aspect that crosses over that. So that's your AC and your DC. Why? Because there always has to be a balance of two. Has to be. So everything comes in twos. So, you know, it has to be. So that's that's really interesting in that point. Now, in fighting camera. Yeah, yeah. Once, yeah, absolutely. It, once you, people say that once you've read Finding Camelot, you can't turn back. I don't know if people can turn back at any point in time. That's free will. Um, but one would hope that curiosity gets the cat and um, people think, oh, okay. The guy's not a total nutter. What he's, some of the things he says is, could be quite true and interesting. So let's explore that avenue for a minute and let's roll on to the, his next book, which is called Under the Dome. And Under the Dome is, um, and I've been called all sorts of things, I'm a flat earther, I'm a fanatic of anti-science and God, you know, all, all, the, all the little um, QAnons that come with it. So at the end of the day, Under the Dome is about the, Exploration of natural and supernatural aspects in, the, in this world. Um, the fact that we all live under a dome, in a prison planet or on a prison planet, and a false reality. But then, what makes it false? Is it almost like a? Is it almost like a hologram that we're living in? Are we really where we say we are? Um, 
and not to use or plug it in so much, but I am a great fan of The Matrix, the films. They're amazing films. And hat off to the writers of those books because there's aspects of The Matrix films over all of their seasons that are just fascinating. I think, well, actually, there's... Where did they get all that idea from? They had to have got it from somewhere. So it makes you wonder, well, what is this planet Earth? Where are we really? Who am I? Who are you? You know, all these things suddenly we question, not necessarily challenge, because that's that's confrontational, but we question, well, what is this Earth place anyway? And, and that's what Under the Dome is talking about. It talks about how religion has suppressed the truth for centuries. Why? You said about that for greed and gluttony, but for control, for control. Everything's about control because the ego, the ego embedded into each and every one of us, that some of us try and suppress our egos and go, do you know why it doesn't matter? But there's certain egos and not, dare I use the term that we talk about, or narcissists, you know, they have to be in control and control everything. You know what I mean? They have to do anything. Yeah, uh, and and you know they're um the, the, the avoid them like the plague. Keep them yes. very honest. Yes, uh, and sometimes that's the best way to do religion as well. Oh, you know, because what is this religion thing anyway? What does it mean? You know, the priest knows no more of God than the tramp on the street. The full on the street. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He, he didn't. He, he didn't phone up this morning and say, "Hey, God, how are you doing? I want to ask you a question about this. What do you think?" Yeah, he hasn't got a direct line to God, nor is the Pope, for God's sake. You know, well, that put me on the hit list now, won't it? God. <laughs> but, but, you know, you know, in the eyes of the old famous English programmes, face bothered. But, um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, not really. So. Religion, anything is good that allows someone to express their spirituality, but please don't suppress their spiritual growth. And this is what a lot of things do. They suppress people's spiritual growth. They embed into human beings that they're sinful, that they're sinners and they're, they're bad people. And they have to go to those people in order to get some kind of um, atonement. Redemption. Yeah, yeah, or atone, yeah, there's a lot of yeah. shame there, like an emotion of shame. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and so under, under the Den covers those aspects of that. And hopefully it will touch a few people, sometimes in not a very good way, <laughs> sometimes in a very good way, positive way. But I suppose one thing is it is something beautiful because life's beautiful, isn't it? It's got to be beautiful. Whether we, whether we see it or not. Yes, we all have these, and this is what Under the Dome explores about the, the roller coaster ride that we're all on, you know, that we, in all our lives, whether we like it or not, in those little bit of 80 years, that little fragment in time, which makes us fairly insignificant, really, in the state of the universe. But, but you know, we all think we're so important. And, um, you know, but in that little roller coaster of a ride, we all get our ups, we all get our downs, we all get our interesting bits, and we get our pit stops, and then we go off again and down. So I, I think for life, in my my perspective, it never really stops doing that. I don't think there's any there's any there's never a type of equilibrium because life isn't meant to be in equilibrium. It's meant to be an up and down, a topsy turvy, inside out, wishy washy type of thing. Really, that's what it's meant to be, and um, that's what keeps it exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that's the three books there. So um, I don't know, it might have put off your viewers from reading the books, like, oh my God, we're not going to read that, that, those. But it might say, to, well, actually, it might be worthwhile a little, little peek inside, a little sneak peek. Who knows? 
Very good, very good. So let's start with some objections now that you've just touched upon an introduction to your three books. So mm-hmm. let's get the objections out of the way. So can you yeah. identify some common objections that you've come across um, in the last few years as you've been writing this and researching and so forth? Yeah, I, I think from different groups and organizations, I, I won't name and shame them too many, although I'd love to, I'd love to. But um, there are some groups out there that, you know, because I'm trying to halt the, their charade in this life, their little charade, you know, little game plays that they're doing, um, I, I get some interesting comments sometimes. Um, okay. So that certainly is, is not very good. Um, but that, that just makes me more determined to move forward. I think, oh, touched a bit of a raw nerve there. Let's move forward in that direction still. Let's twinge okay. that little needle a bit more. Um, to empower people to realise that, you know, as I said about the priest and the God's word, um, that the power is through knowledge and ensure that you have some knowledge. And this is the thing. Some of these organisations don't like people to have knowledge because knowledge is power, we know that. And so their objections has been that they might say, well, actually, where did your research come from? Where did that come from? How did you know what that was? Um, we don't agree with that because our scripture says this. Oh, hang on a minute, your scripture was written about a thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Hashem Vahu was wrote, well, written 6,000 years ago. And many so people which... aren't gonna know what the Hashem Vahu is, Vahul, I mean, yeah. if you would like yeah, to. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Okay. So the Hashem Vuhu is is the Sumerian background belief system, the the crux, the cornerstone, as it were, of the religion of the Sumeria, which will now in modern day time be Iraq. Now, we're looking at um, a creation of civilization in this current species of human beings that would be, say, six to eight thousand years ago. And, and the belief system was in, in a series of deities, a series of gods with a, a penultimate god and an ultimate god, i.e. the god. Yeah. So as we know as God today. And, and so that's the interesting part about Samaria. And if anyone ever gets a chance to look at the Samarian aspects, there's so much out there, so much out there about Samaria. Um, regards to signs, symbols, codes, cuneiform, the main first language, which is amazing. Um, but I think there has to be that the the one thing that anyone takes away from the books and any, any of, of my, my belief systems, I guess, is that anything we do must be from the power of thought. The power of thought is the most powerful thing on this planet. Compared to the echo chamber. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Because... When we go to a church or a, any type of religious building, not necessarily a church, but if we go to a, a place and we collectively have the same thought process, some may call that a prayer. Let's pray together for the soul of blah, blah, blah. So when we get that collective thought, it raises an energy. Now, the priest or the religious leader or the minister isn't doing that. The church, by its definition, the group of people together, doing that the energy of the people absolutely and i think that's the most important thing now just without going too off on a tangent jesus made reference to believe in me i am the way okay right let's let's just pull that back for a minute and put park that up in the afterthought and say well hang on a minute 
did he not mean believe in the me? Now, the me, which Jesus followed, the path of the Hashem Vuhu, is mentioned, the me. And the me means about you, about the inside of you. So what he was trying to portray to people is, before you believe in me, believe in yourself. Because you have the power to do it. You have the knowledge, you have it there. It's there within your structure, within your inner self. So that's what he was saying. I am the way. He was trying to say is that you are the way and you know it. So therefore it gives almost like this autonomous approach. But no one wants autonomy. No one wants that. No one wants you to think that way. I think sometimes it's safer to belong to a group compared to step outside of the box, even if yes. the discovery of self-knowledge and external knowledge is beneficial, you know, in that growth of life. You called it the roller coaster. But I think especially yeah. for adults, it means that somebody is awake, you know, like an, an, an EKG, yes. you know, yeah. people are afraid yeah. of that. But, you know, if you're flatlining, then you're not really living. You're, you're dead. Yeah, no, that's right. You're, you're just merely existing. You're not living. Yeah, you're right. there, right. aren't you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to touch upon a bunch of uh, interesting topics. So let's get into the first one, if we may. Mm-hmm. If yeah, the idea that the Holy Grail is a bloodline, uh, would it interfere with the Vatican narrative? And would you speak on that for a moment? Okay, yeah, sure. So the first and foremost thing to mention would be the bloodline is an aspect of the grail. The grail is something quite supreme. I don't mean it overruling. I mean supreme in its glory. And the grail, from, from my own knowledge, understanding and research, is that the bloodline is part of that, but it's not the whole of that. Mm-hmm. The grail means something far more. Now, the Templars um, have been searching for the Grail for many years since it was hidden last. Now, it was originally, as some people portray, it was originally placed within the trust and safeguards of the Templars, who took that Grail, whatever you think it to be, um, took that Grail from France through... East Anglia, up through the main part of County Durham in England, right up to Scotland, into the Highlands, and then it travelled across to Ireland. The Grail was never meant to be in one fixed position or one fixed place. And so therefore, the idea of the Holy Grail is a bloodline. To one aspect, yes, it is. But it's more than that. There's something far more than that that is beyond this, this earth, beyond this earth, way beyond this. And at one point, the grail was then hidden again. But why was it hidden? I mean, hit, I don't want to say this, but Hitler himself was searching for the grail. You know, And the, the so sword many, of destiny. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Spe- sword of destiny, spear of destiny, some people. Spe- yeah, spear of destiny. Spear yes. of destiny, spear of destiny, yes. Um searching for these artifacts that they thought but then one always has to ask oneself why do you seek the grail what do do you hope to achieve what's your purpose for doing so and this is one reason why the grail was hidden away from humanity once more because it was being sought not the templars weren't doing things wrong don't get me wrong they weren't doing anything wrong but the grail was being sought for the wrong reasons and therefore it had to be hidden. 
Maybe so, you're referring to, to service to self versus service to others or? Yes, yeah, service right. to others, yeah, yeah. So it had to be hidden in that sense. So, and it, that, thus it remains hidden again. Who knows where the grail is? Interesting concept, interesting idea, isn't it? But, and if anyone did know where the grail really truly was, would they truly tell anybody? Surely not. Sure, especially the, perse the persecution, sorry to interrupt, especially the no, no, persecution no. that some of the Knights Templars went through, um, especially oh, when they had to hide into the mountains of Switzerland and... Yes. Yes. And end up in a place called Vienna. Did I just say that? Oh. But end up in a wonderful <laughs> place called Vienna, um, a very magical place called Vienna. Yes. And um, yeah, so it, it's, you, you're right. It's, it's about all about the, there is a bloodline there, but we've got to take it beyond Jesus himself. So who was Jesus really of the bloodline of? And who were they of the bloodline of? So let's go backwards in time. Let's not go forward in time. Let's go backwards in time. Because as I've always maintained, in order to understand the here and now, you need to understand the past. So to get to the future. So that has to happen. It's the same for the grail. The concept of the grail is exactly the same. No one can just jump off today and look at modern literature to try and locate what the grail is, where it is, and who has it. Right. What they have to do is go back to the beginning and before the beginning of time. In other words, before the time of Jesus and say, well, where was he from? Where did he come from? What is this Hashem Vahul? What did the Sumerians believe? Where did they get their knowledge from? You know, how did they end up on planet Earth in the first place? So all those things come into the grail quest, as it were. And it's a, it's a fascinating subject. So what, what did the movie, The Da Vinci Code, get right and wrong? Well, um, elements of The Last Supper are certainly right, regards to the, the scene where they talk about the Mary Magdalene being next to Jesus. Um, of course, Mary Magdalene isn't her full real name in the sense, not of that time, but it, it's translated and comes to a Mary, as it were, or another Mary, but I'm, I'm, I'm not committed to and say Magdala that. was a geographic town, I Absolutely. understand. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, she does have a name as well, which I, I will not speak. But um, so the Last Supper does talk about, about that very, very clearly. The, um, the Vatican, well, that's quite true. The Vatican suppressed information for years because the Vatican can't afford to have its dirty laundry put out in public, quite frankly. Um, There's decisions. It's executive yeah, decisions. Back on that little hit list again. Yeah. You're doing very well here, am I? So, but they, <laughs> they, they, they can't afford to have that happen. They've got loads of archives. You know, we know, we know, everyone knows on this planet, whoever looks at it, when the Bible was written, they, they picked what sections they wanted to put into the Bible and omitted so much more that was never ended up in the Bible. So they said, well, that sounds good. That meets what our belief system is. We'll put that in there, pop that in there, which any writer or author would do, wouldn't it? They go by their own belief system and put those in. So we know that the Vatican has been suppressing information since its creation, and it will continue to do so. Such as the Book of Philip or the Book of Enoch and so forth. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So um, en Enki as well. Let's not forget Enki along the way. E-N-K-I, Enki, let's not forget him, for sure. 
So um, then we get on to the, the Priory. The Priory was absolutely right, 100% right. So when the Priory was referred to in the film, the Priory is correct. There is a group of individuals that exist in order say, to protect the Grail and always will do. And that's passed down. So I believe that's 100% right. So um, Jesus never claimed to walk on water. I think that's the most important thing to mention. And nor did he proclaim to walk in air. Um, there's no, uh, where these myths and legends come from. And in the, that's quite wrong in the film where, where in fact, where, where she was in the film and she's up, up, she's actually up on the estate in Scotland. And she's in the background, you can see Niven's house, bless him, at that time. He was a very elderly gentleman at that time. Um, and, and they were told not to film up there, but they did. And um, anyway, needless to say, when she says, oh, I wonder if it's true, and she puts her little foot across the cliff top there, you know, well, Jesus never claimed to do that. So again, this comes back to translations or mistranslation of older languages and how this, this refers to. Okay. Water into wine. Come on, let's, be, let's get a grip of reality there. He didn't claim to do that either. So... Um, there's, there's certain aspects there that are clearly wrong in the film, but fun anyway along the way. But there is a wealth of information in that film that there's the subliminal aspects that are in that film are amazing, absolutely amazing. My hat off to the film crew, my hat off to everybody involved in that film production. And the, the hints that were dropped. The hints that were dropped all the way through the film, there were so many hints dropped. Yes. Um, certainly, certainly about the existence of a, of a real lifeline to Jesus, which still okay. exists today, you know. But what would happen? What would happen if that lifeline? What would happen if that that particular bloodline just came, came to the surface and said, "Actually, you know, I'm the real bloodline of Jesus, mate." Who's gonna? Who's ever gonna? Who's gonna be bothered? Would it change anything? Would Probably it change? Not. Exactly. Exactly. It wouldn't. Would it? Because all of a sudden people would, it would start to question everything again, you know? So there's a wonderful British TV making film. I don't, if you might be able to watch it on um, YouTube. I hate to do a plug for another thing here, but YouTube's a very good thing. Um, but they have on there, it's called The Second Coming. Okay, and The Second Coming is a film, it's like a little drama series that was British. It was back in the 1970s, 1980s, I think, was it 1979, 1980s? Was it 1990s, 1980s, I think. Anyway, it's about um, one of the guys who played the Doctor, yeah, in the you know, in the face of the doc Doctor Who. So one of the guys who played the Doctor, he actually stars in that in a, at a very young age. And he is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's all set in Manchester in England. It's an amazing thing to watch. And it's called The Second Coming. It was a BBC production, okay? And it's really worth a watch if ever you can find it. It's an amazing program to watch. Okay. Um, so it does it does emphasize the fact. And what happened? What what one would take away from that particular drama series is that chaos and anarchy ensued. Um, all of a sudden, Jesus was here again. The light comes shining down from the sky onto this stadium that he knew would happen, and he happened to be there. Put his sunshades on. As he put his sunshades on. This light beamed down and there was pure daylight shining onto this stadium in England 
when everything else was in darkness to prove that he was the son of God. And um, what happened from that drama series, without spoiling it, but it's not giving you all the, uh, what do they call it? The, um, I can't think of the terminology now, but all the poopers, as it were. You know, you like to give you all the um, little um, off-the-cuff things. There was anarchy ensued, and all of a sudden all the religions started to argue again. And they wanted to get to this new Jesus, because they want to say, are we right? Are we right? Well, I'm sorry. If you think you're right, you're right. You didn't need a new Jesus to tell you that. So if you're questioning, are you right? You're not sure. And if you're not sure, then you don't have a religion. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. So as your books are the cornerstone of the teachings of the Knights of the Red Order, formerly known Mm -hmm. as the Priory, would you share what these cornerstones are? Yeah. Uh, Predominantly, the first cornerstones has got to be wisdom and knowledge. Boaz and Yachin, the two pillars. Did I just say that? The two pillars of wisdom and knowledge. Strength. strength. In he, the light that strengthens shall be strengthened. That's what that means. Um, in, in many scriptures, in many secret societies that use the phraseology. So wisdom and knowledge um, is the most cornerstone of anything. Why? Because we need wisdom. We need to be wise in what we do. We need to be wise in our understanding. And why? Because we need that knowledge in order to have that wisdom to understand the environment to which we are in at this particular moment in time, that perfect point in time. A belief in off-world species in whatever context, because there has to be. So, I mean, when someone says to you, oh, hey, I believe in aliens, you think, oh, he's a nutter. He wears a bit of tinfoil on his head. Well, no. What are you trying to say that God is then? Because what's God then? What's, what's Jesus? What's these Anunnaki that come down? What are these species that we mentioned that come down, beep bopping and flying around in pyramids? Why is there a model of an aeroplane in a pyramid that have been locked for the last 5,000 years? You know, so there has to be other life that has interacted with planet Earth. And therefore, the the Coro, the Knights of the Red Order, follows that process of understanding that there has to be other intelligence out there, other consciousness. I think also there's an understanding that the Earth, in its reality, is a training ground of learning. And, and for all of us, no one's better than the next person. We're all the same. We're all born with no clothes. We'll all die a dying death. That's pretty certain, isn't it? Oh, there's right. taxes. I think there's taxes in between. When they say... Death and taxes are always certain. So there's taxes in between. But there's there's always some kind of learning ground there. There has to be a learning ground. And there has to be an understanding that, that, that in this reality, we have electricity, biological electricity. And that we generate biological electricity in our own bodies. That radiates as an energy source. And that energy source is used within and without yeah, so within us and around us, within and without this reality. So they're the main cornerstones of the Knights Order, um, and they always will be. Even back to the Templars and back to 1307, that wonderful day. Um, Friday the 13th, yes. Yeah, God, yeah. Um, it, all, it all has a meaning, and the cornerstones have to have a meaning. There has to be a base for a start there has to be a starting point. And that, that's the main thing there, really. So, which is good. So, given the risks and the controversy 
that you're speaking about right now, why take the risk? Unless you're at a point where maybe you don't care about other people's opinions or tell me what goes through your mind. Okay, oh, that's interesting. Yes. Um, In some schools of thought, I'm classed as terminally ill. Mm -hmm. I am, you know, I have a very bad heart. Um, As you know, I had a heart attack in September last year. Um, I had, I've had, I've been in heart failure for a while, although to look at me, you wouldn't think it. I'm in heart failure. I'm in lung failure. I have bone disease. Yeah. Those three aspects alone have shortened my life expectancy dramatically. And so therefore, I've got to a stage now where I don't give a damn. You're free. Because it, I'm free. And it's yeah. weird, isn't it? And I've spoken to other people that are in my similar situation. That I might, I might make it five years. I might make it 10 years. My heart surgeons, my heart cardiologist says I've probably got two to three years left. Um, but I still smoke. and there's there's no guarantees there's no guarantees there's no guarantees well who has got a guarantee so i think from my perspective um i got to a stage where i thought what does it matter anyway i think it's time to actually just say what what i know and and as long as it doesn't harm others there's that wonderful phrase and it harm none do as you will and I think that's the thing we all need to live by. We can do whatever we want to do in life, but we don't harm another creature. Don't harm another living thing, another right. living creature. Yeah. But so, and it harm none do as you will. And, and and that's what I live by now. I've always lived by the sword. I always will live by the sword and die by the sword. I will, that that's that's me. In this time and all other times, it will always be the same way that I live and die by a sword. But. In this time, in the here and now, I got to a point where I thought, you know what? You've got to give people something out there. You've got to share what you've researched, what you know, what's been passed down to me. I've got to share some of that knowledge. I can't share everything because that would be wrong, but I've got to share as much as I possibly and ethically can for people to make their own decisions. And and that's that's how I got to the point of that, really. Good. But do you know what? It's weird. I wake up every morning, Angelina, and I love life. I think, oh, I'm awake. I, I truly believe. I truly um, believe this every morning. I wake up. Think, okay, I'm awake. What day is it? Because we all think that. What day is it? Whether we like to admit it or not. I think, okay, right. <laughs> I'm alive. It's going to be a great day. You're grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're you're here another day for another experience, and when you're no longer required, you won't be, will you? You know, there's not sort of that 80 year marker, you know, okay, some people make it to 100 and something bloody lucky burgers, really. But some make it to that age, they probably wouldn't say that to yourself. So say, well, I'm still alive and I think I need to go now because my bones don't work anymore. And I can't walk more than one step ahead without somebody coming to wipe the bottom. But, you know, um, lucky that they get to that stage, to be fair. Um, But so we can't lose sight of the fact that we're only here for a whisper in the wind. That's all we are a whisper in the wind, and then we're gone. Right, so right. If we can make something count whilst we're here, no matter how big or small it means to you or another person, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Well said, well said. Yep. So in my experience, defining, developing, and executing a legacy is part, what I might call a healthy ego, and part conscience. So 
what was on your conscience in having the courage to write these latest three books in your name compared to a pen name? Well, probably more than I care to share on many avenues, I guess, of thought and process. I shared something with you a minute, a moment, moment ago, in a moment's passing. Um, but as strange as it may seem to many, you know, I wake up after sleep and it's weird. And then people say, well, is it? I've always had lots of knowledge since I was a child. I don't know how I got that knowledge, but I always had it. I do know some of the reasons how I got it, but I've always had that knowledge. And sometimes when I, when I wake up after a sleep, I can come to my computer and I just start typing away. And then when I've typed it all up, what I've done, and it can be for an hour, two hours, three hours, I won't even get showered at that point, I just carry on typing. Then I go and get showered and get ready and all that sort of thing. And when I come back to see what I've written, and I start to do research on that, I realise the truth within what I've written. So it's almost as if someone or something has passed that down to me. Now, it is said that when we hear a tune in our ears, and it's not tinnitus, but when we hear a tune in our ears for a short period of time, like a high pitch, we've all experienced that. And then it goes and fades away. It is said that that's when you're getting messages from an angel, messages from your guardian angel, whatever, that's being planted into your subconscious for use by you or another at a later point in time. Well, I've always had that since I was a child, these, these weird rings in the ears. And they, they, they don't come at any specific point in time. They're very sporadic. They're very um, inspirational. They're very on, on the spot. I could be anywhere doing anything. Sometimes it's a bit embarrassing, but I could be anywhere doing anything. All of a sudden, I get this little tune, the high pitch in, in, the, in the head, and it may last 30 seconds, may last two minutes, then it disappears. And it's weird. And then a few hours after that, I have all these thought processes and I write it all down again. And then when I look at different things, I think, well, I didn't even know that until this morning. Where did I get that from? And it's there when I start researching it. Yeah, no one's ever told me that. So there's a, there's a school of thought that says that do, do the powers that be communicate with, with people? Not with certainly, but do they communicate? I believe they do. I believe, that, yeah, I believe the so, metaphysical does interact with the physical. Again, it has I, to go hand in hand. I've heard that uh, J.K. Rowling received the Harry Potter idea as a download. I don't know if it's true or not. There we are, angelic downloads, you know. Yeah, she was on a train. Yeah. That's how this, yeah. Everybody <laughs> should have one. Everyone should have one. Okay. In fact, when I, when I, get, up, when I get upstairs at a later point in time, a bit later on, please, but when I get upstairs a bit later on, I'll ask him to send some more angelic downloads down if he could. <laughs> Do you know, like, why not? Why not? You know, there has to be this connection because, as we know, with death and dying, it's a horrible subject for some people to discover. I personally find it a fascinating subject, death and dying. Perhaps I should have been a mortician or something instead. I lost my little kudos in life, really. But, but there has to be something else. Your energy just doesn't die and disperse, and that's the end of you. You have to go somewhere. There has to be something. Otherwise, what was your purpose? There has to be a purpose, really. So, yeah. You know, that's the main thing there. So, hmm. good, good. All right. So, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is that, um, you know, as you've written these three books, obviously you haven't been 
distracted by other people's opinions. And I also wondered about, you know, what did you learn about yourself in the process of writing these last three books? Because it is a journey oh. to write a book, as I'm in the middle of writing one right now. Yeah, I mean, what did I learn about myself? I suppose that we all have faults, we all have imperfections. We don't like to admit it, but we do. Um, we all view the world in very different ways. Um, and I think for myself, it, it, I question some of my views of the earlier belief systems of eons ago, of decades ago. And then I realized that, in fact, so much so, it's quite interesting, actually. Um, I had a neighbor popping earlier on, just to bore you with this momentarily, but it has, it has a purpose. So a neighbor popped in earlier on. Her name's Pam, Pamela. She popped in and she was amazed with all the decorations that have been done in the property. I said, oh, I've had <coughs> painted and decorated and then God knows what. And she clocked my bookcase and she says, oh, you got some books there. I said, yeah, they're my books. She went, oh, I know you write books, she says. I, I, I know all your titles because she knows that I've written 19 books now. And she said, but you've only got, what, half a dozen, probably nine. I said, well, there's actually 10 on the shelf out of 19. She said, why have you only got 10 of your 19 books? I said, because as I researched and evolved, I no longer believe when I wrote back in those earlier days. So I don't hold those books. The same as you or I, when we read a book, we might like it for that perfect point in time. We might hold on to it for a year or so, but then we evolve we move on. So we give that book away. Same for authors. We evolve, we move on. So I think that's one thing I learned from my myself from the writing of the books. In the Genesis Code, you share insights about human ancestry and the existence of God. From your view, why do you think this knowledge has been suppressed? Oh, well, I think it's really because of control and greed, of course. And we did touch, we touched on that quite a few things already on that today. Um, but it's also to, so they want to assume the role on, the, on that pedestal. But again, there's there's a certain group that wants to be high and mighty, wants to be up there on that pedestal and wants to be worshipped. What an interesting term to use, isn't it, as well? Um, worshipped. How, why would you want to worship? I'm so sorry. Why would you want to worship? Um, anything or anyone but in our religious systems on this planet we have I'm so sorry God um, <laughs> I, I, I've got so many calls to go back to after this God but on <laughs> this um, hey you haven't got this live streaming that isn't why I'm getting phone calls is it okay, okay. <laughs> people want to chime in and opine yeah, and oh my God. add to the, to the discussion <laughs> yeah so I mean what's would society continue if they knew the truth? And, and let's face it, those people at the, at the top of the hierarchy, in the words of Mr. McDonald's, they're loving it, aren't they? They really are loving it because they don't want the status quo to change because they've got everything they want. They've got the, the money, the cars, the houses, the experience, the people worshipping them around them. Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> You have to edit that part. Okay. okay. Why, why would? <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. One second. Why? Uh, I'll come back to that. You go, I'm so sorry for your editing. It's going to be so bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> A bit of French water. 
yes. you want to keep that on there. Volvic, everybody. Bye, yes. Volvic. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Go French. Go Volvic. Lovely. Oh. Yeah, I, I won't be making commercial adverts, that's for sure. Um, no sponsorship opportunities. <laughs> God, no, no. Doesn't it annoy you when you see that on YouTube as well? When you see people, they do a really serious interview. Like it is on some of the most popular YouTube channels. They say, oh, today's show sponsored by, and this guy, you can tell he doesn't want to say it, or she doesn't want to say it. And they had to talk about this, this promotional thing. You think, really? Oh, my God. You know, where's the mute button? Quick, quick. Um, yeah, so it's about the, would society continue if it knew the total truth? Well, it wouldn't do. Nothing would continue because it would change the status quo because all of a sudden people want to um, change things. So well, anyway, you're not being worshipped anymore and you're not, you're no one special anymore. You were born the same way as me with no clothes on. You know, let's be fair, and you were covered in gunk. You know, right. so, you, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you're going to die the same way. You just stop breathing and that's it. So what makes you so different to me? Nothing, you know, and, and this is where, this is where society comes. It has all its precursors, as it were. And so knowledge has to be suppressed in order for a limited few to have that knowledge, which gives them power over others. So it's power control, greed, ego. They're the points. Yeah. Mm. All right. So on a lighter note, so what went into God, that was intense, wasn't it? Sorry, yeah. that, was so, that was so intense, my God. Yeah. Moving so what went, what went into your research and the time it took for you to gather the data on Earth's ley, ley lines, the family tree research, photographs, and any other evidence for your latest three books? Cool. Well, I, as you, you know, on a personal level, I have spent my entire life researching and receiving information uh, for my books. And um, I cannot think of life without research because, you know, knowledge is power. I don't want power. I don't want to be on a pedestal. What I do want is to have an understanding of the me, i.e. me, and I want to have an understanding of the environment that I'm in. And most importantly, I want to understand why I'm here. Doesn't everyone? Why are we here? Why am I here? Why are you here? You know, there has to be a reason. So that's what drives me all the time to, to research, research, research. And that is exactly um, what I do. And I'm about to go on a quest to Ireland. I go to Ireland next week. I don't know if you knew that or not. I'm off to Ireland next week. So that's great on another quest. So okay. we can legally go now. So, um, and obviously because of the various protocols you have to follow so i'm i'm leaving for ireland on tuesday evening sailing away um and, and that's the next quest so watch this space for the videos and things it's really great great time great experience great research and living the history at the same time amazing so this is where all the research comes in it's from i say from information over a lifetime's work to information that's passed to me from various groups and organizations, sometimes on the QT, sometimes up front, and generally the, on the QT. Yes, on the quiet, the, the DL, the yeah, download. Absolutely, so, absolutely. so it's interesting because uh, you you have shared, I'd say, a good amount of that research in your books. Mm -hmm. yes. Absolutely. Okay, that's a plug for your books. Okay, so would <laughs> so you yeah. challenge our understanding of reality and why thinking outside the box matters? 
Oh, well, challenge is an odd word for me to use, I guess, because it implies a battle. Um, but what I publish is out there in the ethos for all to access. And that's, that's what I want. I want anyone to be able to access it, but only if they choose to do so. I, I don't want haters to hate <laughs> that wonderful phrase. You know, if they don't like my beliefs and they don't like what I'm saying, then then move on. Nothing to see mm-hmm. here. Okay. You know, move on. You know, there's no need to have all the all the animosity, I guess. But um, yeah, it does leave rather someone in a bit of a conundrum. Wonderful work in a conundrum. I love that word. But it leaves you in a bit of a conundrum as to what to do, really. But um, do you just block them and say, "Oh, goodbye"? Um, or do you allow yourself to get sucked into their negativity and their narcissistic ways, I guess? But who knows? Who knows? Um, I try to just avoid them like the plague and click the old block button. That's always a good answer. Um, but I think everything is out there in the ethos. It has to be. Um, thinking outside the box does truly matter because... We, we must question everything. We must question everything we see, everything we, we observe, everything we do, everything we hear. In order um, to grow. Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't make you challenge that person for their belief system. That's their belief system. Good luck to them. Good luck with their 80 years, you know. But, but, you know, but it's just for take on board. And, and if you take one aspect from someone else's belief system, that's, that's, that's good enough in my book because something's been passed on. And isn't that what knowledge is at the end of the day? It's about passing information on, that someone can make their own decisions based on informed choices. Yeah. So, so yeah. speaking of information, if there's one thing that you mm-hmm. believe God or the archangels would want us to know, what would that one thing be, given your research and experiences? That you're not alone. Okay. Okay. That's the most important thing, I think. Okay. Okay. All right. Wonderful. So in your book, after the Genesis Code comes Finding Camelot. What made mm-hmm. you want to share the metaphysical links and truths of this famous legend throughout time and space in expanding the narrative around King Arthur and his knights? Oh, it's a wonderful subject here, isn't it? Well, it's all connected in the first thing to say is that um, what I try to get across to readers is that Energy lines are energy lines. Now, we're not talking about reincarnation as such, but are we saying that the same stories repeat themselves? Does everything repeat? Well, yes, it does. The Ouroboros, the Ouroboros tells us that. Now, if we talk about the Ouroboros, it's about the serpent that's in a circle that swallows itself in death and gets reborn. And so it's a circle of life. You know, that one of those, the circle of life. I think Elton John wrote a song about the circle of life. Um, amazing, oh, yes, amazing. Elton John, yes. <laughs> yeah, amazing artist, amazing artist. We won't sing but, it right now. <laughs> no, 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 indeed, indeed. But so everything repeats itself. Hist- sadly, rightly or wrongly, history will always repeat itself. Why? Because of memes. Because memes are stored in every human being. It's passed down to us. Excuse me. <clears throat> it's passed down to us, MEMS, um, in every way, shape, or form. Information in DNA sequencing is passed down. And that's why history repeats itself. Will there be other wars? Of course there will be. Will people hate people? Of course they will. Will racists hate racists? Yes, of course they will. It's, part, it's in our genetic DNA. It's in our coding. 
It's in our signs, it's in our symbols within. It's always going to happen. But we can change that. No, we can't. We can try and manipulate a situation to have a better outcome, but we can't do a total change because, as we all know, the leopard does not change its spots. So Are you also referring to epigenetics? Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's always going to be there. So regards to connecting those energy lines, it's a good way to explain to the reader's energy lines and that they can be eternal and can be transferred from one dying creature to a living creature, or they can pass over. So some people would turn and say, well, hang on a second, that means that that's possession. Well, it's a rude way of considering it, I guess, but is it a possession? Because a possession means to take over something, doesn't it? It means to take over someone in it, something in its entirety. So if it's a possession, that would be wrong. But are we saying that energy line transfers its knowledge and abilities into a living creature at the point of its death, its transition away from this inner earth? Well, yes. Doesn't mean it's taken over that energy. It means it's embedded, it's downloaded, imported, information into that next energy line so it can continue now sometimes that can be positive but as we know with the yin and yang again it can be negative because it has to be both in order to have existence chaos theory sure do you think awareness changes that to a certain level yes i think it would um awareness can help so if you're aware of of things that are happening then yes, you and your own energy can manipulate. It's a weird term to use, but I think it's the only term that, that fits the bill, is to manipulate the situation for a positive outcome. Um, that's the best way to move, to move forward with that, I think, really. Okay. What are some of the connections between the physical and metaphysical realms, as well as how cycles repeat? Well, I just mentioned that already, sorry. Um, okay. So the, okay. the Ouroboros, an association really rather than a connection an association so some interact constantly so between the physical and the metaphysical there's there's an interaction continuously within each realm some merely interact at the point of death in the realm and some will just interact not at all so Again, as I like to say, made a wonderful phrase, it's a topsy-turvy, missy, mashy, washed up world. So it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a very um, interesting world that then you could challenge or question why, why, does that, why does that energy associate itself with that energy on Earth? Why not associate with everybody? It just happens to be that connection. So we're talking DNA strand, we're talking bloodline, we're talking... Um, certain Davidic lines, we're looking at Cain, laying lines of Cain, we're looking at all those aspects, because everything has to come from a source. You, I, we all come from a source, whether we know it or not, because our energy lines, we're not, we didn't just pop on earth and say, hi, we're here. You know, we've gone back in time and we, we know where we come from. Yeah, at that point in time. So everything has to have that connection uh, that interaction, that association. 
Good, good. As it relates to the structure of our reality, would you speak further about the creation of humankind in this world? I know you've touched upon it lightly. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think anyone that believes that the Earth had this Big Bang theory and suddenly had all these little comets and asteroids that suddenly plowed into each other to create life. Well, <clears throat> I think I might leave that one for the movies. Earth was okay. engineered. Earth was engineered. It has to be engineered. It's a biophysical laboratory. No different to what we're doing on Earth itself. We're doing an inner version of it. You know, um, take the um, Eden Project down in southern England. You know, they've got a biosphere there, creation of um, energies and plant lives and life and stuff. So, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> Earth was engineered. Humans were engineered. There is no way we suddenly popped out. How anyone on God's green earth can believe that we were walking around on all fours going, <laughs> and then we evolve to have speech recognition, lose our tails apparently, um, and then we start to lose all our hair. How absurd is that? That's bizarre, isn't it? Because in order for evolution to occur, its predecessors need to become extinct. That's the rule of evolution. The weaker species dies off, the new species evolves and continues to evolve and survives. Well, there's still monkeys and apes on the planet, isn't there? Well, they didn't become extinct. So therefore, they can't be evolution of the human race. Surely. They can't be, can they? How can they be? Because that, that defies the laws of evolution. As we, well, I'm so sorry. <laughs> God. You have, you have to pause to it again. This, is, this is real life in action. At least my God. phone's not ringing this, in this moment. Okay, so what is your view about what happened to Jesus as well as the Earth, Earth's magnetics and how ley lines work? Because a lot of people don't know about ley lines. It's not necessarily taught in school, but it's a fascinating subject. No, quite. Yes, yes. Well, the fate of Jesus was never really predetermined. That's for sure. Let's just put that into the full, forefront for a minute. So it wasn't fate, as it were. You know, it wasn't predetermined. Therefore, it was not fate, as we know. What God needed to know is, I'm so sorry, this is real. They, they want to, you're, you're so in high demand. <laughs> I am today, God, God. Actually, I'm every day. But um, what God needed to know is how humans at that time would interact with Jesus because it was an experiment. Everything, everything on this planet is an experiment. It has to be. In order, so clearly we know the answer to that one, that it didn't work out too well for Jesus now, did it? Right, How did it right. work out not very well? So from there, we say, well, what is a different, well, what a different world it would have been had Jesus not have been murdered in the way that he was. Now, again, I think I mentioned this before in previous interviews and videos, perhaps not with you, Angelina, I'm not quite sure, but I've mentioned it a few times over the last decade, is that it is my full 100% belief system that Jesus never went anywhere near a cross. Okay. <clears throat> if we look back at how the people were tortured at that time to death, yes, the, there were certain people that were put to crosses, into this area and died um, but they weren't as high as they portrayed them to be they were quite low to the ground uh, for practicality um, 
the way that Jesus was murdered was in, it was a tradi more traditional way of killing somebody, which was where he was tied down to a rock slab. There was a winch, a wooden winch that goes over the structure. And, it, and there, on that winch would be a boulder. And that boulder would cover from the torso down to the genitals. So your, your, your legs would be visible. Your arms, possibly part of your hands would be visible, possibly. And your head would definitely be visible. And what would happen is quite torturously um, is it's winched down and winched down and the boulder comes down and rests itself onto the body and crushes you to death. Now, some people might last a short period of time. Other people would last longer. But that would explain the blood from the eyes as well that's denoted in the Bible. Because having one's chest caved in on itself would necessarily bring blood from the eyes. Yeah, the crying of blood. It would certainly allow the pressurised of the blood system of the lymphatics and the arteries to release bloods and chemicals and fluids from the feet, which is portrayed in the Bible. That does not happen. Blood does not pour from a human species' eyes if they are somehow nailed to a cross. It wouldn't happen. But it would do in the original system of the boulder exercise of the crushing by boulder, lowering down, which is a torturous method that continued actually, continued for many centuries. So um, that's an, that's an, it's a very interesting um, point there to mention. Okay. That rocky slabs and crushed boulders, I suppose, wouldn't look very nice in a church, would they? Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's talk magic for a moment, or the fifth element yes. of the ether. In the perspective of the earth, let's presume for a moment that it's not round. What are the other energies that are out there? And from a mathological um, vantage point, how is this possible? Well, there's many layers to the earth. That's the first thing to mention. So we reside in what's known as inner earth. And then you've got the ice wall and you've got the outer earth, the outer lands. Yeah. And then you've got more beyond that. So when we look at this, when we figure out like a dome, as it were, we're not necessarily saying it's a flat earth because it's not really flat as it were. It's more of a sort of bold type and it's got rocky areas because water finds a level. It always will do. So it can't be flying around at 3,000 miles an hour. Um, there's no way possibly physically it could do that. So with these layers of the earth, the inner cell is where we reside today. Now, space is more fluid. It's a fluid base. It's not a nothingness pit. It's not a dark matter. That's a play on words, really. It's, um, it's a fluid form. Now, when we see a rocket take off from NASA Space Center, um, they take off, but they don't go straight up, do they? What they do is they take off and they do this and they come around like that. Why? Because they're actually going to the outer lands beyond the ice wall. They're not leaving Earth through the dome. There's no possible way they could do. No human being has ever been into real space, ever. There's no way that could have happened because 
you'll be dead by the radiation. There's nothing that we have on this planet that can protect our carbon-based models from radiation. It makes it me wonder, I'm sorry to interrupt you, it makes me wonder in the Game of Thrones when they talk about that ice wall. <laughs> yes, yes, interesting. So beyond there are the lands. So that's where they're exploring. Now, the reason why they're obsessed by exploring those lands and calling it space, as it were, is because we've had that obsession since 1947. Admiral Byrd, BYRD, we've had that mm -hmm. obsession. And so we are explorers by nature. So we're going to continue to explore that. But we're going to call it space. Yeah. As I said before, the space station isn't a space station. It's a sky station. Okay. It doesn't sit in space. It sits in one of the outer atmospheres that is still part of Earth. It doesn't, it doesn't sit in space. So I call it a space station. They said, oh, we've got a sky station up there. That made more sense, wouldn't it, really? But it well, doesn't sound as nice, does it? It doesn't yeah. sound as magical, does it? Oh, I've been to space. No, you haven't, because you're still surviving. You're like, being radiated over and be dead as a dodo. <laughs> All Probably right. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> very good. How do science and magical practices play a role to opening one's mind to unexplored truths? And how could this help the reader in their life? Well, it's all about frequency, first of all. Um, so magical practices are about frequency. Everything we do exists on a frequency level. So be that a sound, a vibration, a sign, a symbol. It's all about how the internal mind. Now, we know, we know that our mind only operates 7% on average. Because that's all we're meant to know. Because that's all we're programmed to know. But inside that mind, there's so many other things going on, as, as research and scientists have discovered. So we know that the subconscious absorbs this frequency and converts that into energy. And that energy has a meaning. And once that energy is absorbed in our subconscious, it then is able to project into the conscious state and thus become mm -hmm. a form of frequency. Mm -hmm. So is magic magic? Who knows? How do we define magic? Magic is, by definition, is something that happens that is supernatural. Well, something's only natural if we know is natural because we know it to be natural. If we don't know something that's beyond that 7% in our brain function, oh my God, that person can do magic. That person can move things with their mind. Well, that's just telekinesis. That's child's play. For a brain that we only use 7% of, telekinesis is that another part of the awakening of the brain. So what we're saying is, how do we open and how do we how do we increase that percentage of the brain? How do we increase the knowledge? How do we allow that to happen? Well, we're not meant to, I guess. Because our structures, our engineers weren't designed to cope with that volume of information flowing through our heads. You know? And I, I want to tag along something that you just said right there. So three questions yeah. that that movie, The Da Vinci Code, brought up is, what yes. if symbols are a language that can allow us to understand our past? What if the codes are trying to tell us something? And are there secrets that have been left out of the public domain of knowledge? And I think you've kind of covered know, that. Yeah, yeah. Signs yeah. and symbols are they 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 emanate they um, transmit themselves into our subconscious. That's what I was going to say. It's yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. And then yes. they absorb that. 
even if our conscious mind doesn't understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that old classic thing when you go somewhere, a tourist attraction that might be an ancient building or something, and people say, or oh, if you touch that, it brings you good luck. Well, careful what you wish for. Because sometimes you think, why are they asking me to touch that? Perhaps I shouldn't oh. touch that at all. Yeah. yeah. It's like I say to you, I, I, I can, yeah. someone says, I've got this lighter here and they've done something to that lighter. I'm going to give it to you as a gift. <laughs> mm. I very seldom accept gifts. Very seldom. Why? Because look at the Trojan horse. It didn't work out too well for them, did it? Because <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, don't so. know what, what energies could be that's connected right. to that. And then you invite it in. Yeah, that's like exactly. sometimes we don't want to invite uh, Dracula in. Just kidding. Yes. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Okay. That's yeah. just a joke. Okay. All right. Yeah, I know. So, I know. <laughs> <laughs> in exploring the supernatural aspects of this reality, living under the dome. Um, so why do you think that this idea... And, and I have my, I'm neutral on this subject, by the uh -huh. way. Uh, so yeah. why do you believe that this theory is so quickly and repeatedly de debunked with mainstream media? Well, or the masses? I hate to use that phrase, haters will hate, but trolls will troll. So, I mean, at the end of the day, um, trolls are provided on different platforms to debunk theories at every possible stage. Why? Because there are certain groups on this planet that don't want the truth to be out there now with that it is not in the interest of the few for the many to understand their purpose in the universe because they are concerned that anarchy may ensue well absolutely because if suddenly everyone had this awakening they woke up to what was really happening what who they really were what they're meant to be and everything changed and those privileged few and they are a privileged few um in in the scheme of things in the size of things they wouldn't have all their luxuries anymore because everyone would be equal but kind of that you can't have someone being equal to me god god you know god my god you can't have that i, I live in central london in a bloody great townhouse that's worth 75 million pounds how dare it be worth the same as a little cottage in the countryside? Yeah, they couldn't have that, could they? Because all that stature and wealth, and this is where, again, the ego kicks in. So um, it's always going to be debunked at every possible stage. Why? Because of two things in life. Greed, from a physical point of view, and from a medical or psychological point of view, jealousy. Oh, envy. Yes, yes. Envy. Yes. Always a killer. Always a killer. It will clear the table. <laughs> who, do, who do you think would appreciate your books the most? Uh, as people are becoming more curious these days, the internet has opened up much knowledge or access to knowledge. Who do you think would appreciate your books the most? Generation Z? Yeah, I, I think new generations would probably appreciate it more to be fair i'd like to think that all generations have an open mind but sadly their social conditioning over the centuries hasn't allowed them to have those open minds i mean for god's sake it wasn't that many moons ago we were still considering women to be second-class citizens and didn't have a vote you know so if we go back in time as we move further forward we seem to be getting more and more aware and the generations to be more awake 
but they're meant to be towards end times. So I think it's the younger generation that are probably much more sort of attentive to the young ideas. Good, good. Um, as we as we move to a close, are there any myths that you would like to dispel regarding Friday the 13th, 1307, or the Knights Templar, or the the family lineage? And I, I always uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, have a hard time I think, pronouncing um, the last name. <laughs> uh, Disposony. Okay. Yes. So Disposony is the name of the bloodline of Jesus, as we know. Yet it has many meanings and many purposes across space and time. As for specific dates and time, well, they're just merely illusions, really. Isn't life an illusion at the end of the day? Everything's an illusion, really, um, from what we touch, from what we see, what we hear. So really, as far as specific dates and times are concerned, they really don't have any particular significance. But it's a way for the here and now, a perfect point in time to have a measurement of time, something to make it tangible, to make it um, understandable, that we can say, well, okay, well, if we just, why do we need years, for example? Why do we say, well, in 1947, Admiral Byrd went off on his Operation High Jump? Mm-hmm. Why, why do we talk about that? Why, why, why do we not just have the, um, in, 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 Prism one, prism as in prism, not prism, prism one. Amalbert did this in prism two, and perhaps a prism is 40 years. The same Your as a ISM. shah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The same as a shah, S-H-A-R, a shah in Sumerian time is 3,600 years. So they didn't consider a year in the earlier points of Sumerianism. Um, they considered a shah. So they measured time by every 3,600 years of Gregorian calendar. And I think this is the thing we need to make sure that this bearing in mind that we've had different calendars and different times. We had the Julian calendar and we're now in a Gregorian calendar. So St. Gregory has a lot to answer for, let's face it. He really does. Because, I mean, he got rid of Orphicus. He got rid of the 13th sign of the Zodiac. And we ended up with 12 signs in a Gregorian calendar. Well, how did that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? How do we suddenly, oh, those stars in that sequence doesn't matter anymore. We'll just lose that because it doesn't fit our new calendar. <laughs> so we just lose it. So we'll say, oh, there's 12 signs to the star signs. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about the 13th one. We don't want the 13th. 13th is unlucky anyway, you know. So that's all that, that's what it is really. So dates, times, they mean really nothing. They're not done on a specific day. The only thing with the Templars was the Papal War was released at a synchronised time. It could have been the 6th of July for all we care. You know, it didn't have to be Friday the 13th. It just so happens it was on a Friday the 13th, which was unlucky for some, i.e. unlucky for Knights Templars, as we well know. Um, And many survived, obviously, but many met gruesome, horrible deaths because the Vatican considered, and so did a couple of kings on the way for good measure, but the Vatican considered the Templars were too powerful. Oh dear, I thought the Vatican was powerful. Didn't burn them at the stake, did we? We didn't proclaim them to be witches. There's a wonderful thing there, I've just got to share that with you, okay, just for humour, and it's a really sick humour, okay? Okay. 
I'm a witch. I'm not a witch, but just to say for a moment, I'm a witch. Okay. Okay. And I'm living in the dark ages and the witch trials. Okay. So I get captured and she's a witch. She's a witch. Like, well, it's not going to work out very well for me, is it? Because either I get thrown in the water, right? And if I happen to manage to survive and bob to the top, must be a witch. That's it. You're being dragged out of that water and burnt at the stakes. Or either way, you were going to die. A bit pointless, really, wasn't it? I can't believe that people didn't pick up on that point. Yeah. Back in the day, like, well, hang on a minute. If we're saying she bobs up to the top, yeah, we're going to drag her out of the water and say she's a witch and burn her at the stake anyway. Horrible death. But if she drowns, she drowns. Oh, dear, she died. She weren't a witch. Oh, never mind. I guess, a, I guess a threat is a threat. Yeah. Yes. It's bizarre, yes. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, do you think Leonardo da Vinci? Oh, go on. Was clued into any of this? Yes, most definitely. And he okay. portrays that in all his artwork as well. Okay. He was definitely a member of the order. And there was no way he could not be. Um, I'll stand to my guns. That was quite a precise answer didn't get around the houses there very good <laughs> but you know he was definitely a member of the order and his art does portray that um you know hence the da vinci code and all that sort of thing there's, a, there's so many in everyday life there's so many signs symbols frequencies suggestions that are there if only we open our eyes and see it really. yeah yeah well i'd like to thank you carl for your time today and and most of all I can tell that you're at a place in life that you don't have anything to prove. And so you're willing to parlay your knowledge forward without fear of retribution, fear of being outcasted. And I can imagine that is a very freeing place. Uh, People that I've been able to coach and interview that are in a position of not having anything to prove, they're much more willing to share and be in service to humanity. Yes. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes. One last thing to say to you and share with you. One thing that freedom means to me is what the Sumerians call amagi, amagi, A-M for Mike, A-R-G-I, amagi, which means simply freedom, to be free. That's, that's the best thing anyone can ask for. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know it takes courage to develop and execute one's legacy compared to just staying level within the, the grass compared to being one of the higher blades of grass. So yes. thank you. Thank you for your courage. And I, I hope that um, your books will be well received to whether it's Generation Z or the open minded that are seeking answers that might be beyond some of the typical available literature. Lovely. Thank you for having me, Angelina. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you so much.